Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I know this program is 70 over 70, but uh, I really wish I were younger. I wish I were 70, but I am ready. I'm 72 years old. I'm 75, miraculously enough. I am 83 years old. I am 88 years old. You know, I'm here at 92. I'll be 94 in May. I'm 101 years old. My name is Konai Helutheman. I'm 75 years old, and I live in Suva, Fiji. Today, I think of myself as a Tongan poet who happens to be an English teacher. I actually came to discover how important my own heritage was. I started writing poetry in the Tongan language, desperately trying to help my English students. I was born and raised in Tonga. It was one of these typical Pacific household where everything was in Tongan. We spoke Tongan, we wrote in Tongan. But I happened to pass the exam to enter the only English-speaking high school in the whole country. At school, everything was in English and you were punished for speaking in Tongan. And so I was terrified to even open my mouth in case I made a mistake. English literature, I just found very boring. At school, we had to study the poem Daffodils by Wordsworth. But there were no daffodils in Tonga. I didn't know what daffodils looked like. It's just totally meaningless. But I studied hard and it paid off. I got this scholarship to go to a university in New Zealand and many years after that I was asked to teach English to my old high school. When we started to look at the poetry section, I realized my English students, they were just so bored, they couldn't relate, they didn't understand what it was all about. 
I knew exactly how they felt. It dawned on me that the English had not invented poetry. And given our cultural history, my goodness, couldn't even imagine the amount of poetry that was around us. I wanted to use Tongan images to teach basic notions of poetry to my class. So I started writing all these verses and it suddenly made sense to them when they read my poems and they come across a flower called a helala. It's a tiny little flower, but the fragrance is so powerful. You know, then they will understand how rich culturally they are. Today, I have five collections of poetry that have been published and my poetry is quite popular among Tongan students because what I write about is about them, it's about us. We as a community have not valued our own languages. A lot of our history, a lot of our indigenous knowledge were just regarded as useless and therefore everything was done to delete all of that knowledge from us. But Tonga knowledge is so, so important. It's to do with your self-confidence. If you don't know your own culture, how can you have confidence to learn who you are? That was Kanai Halu Thaman. And from Pineapple Street Studios, this is 70 Over 70, a show about making the most of the time we have left. I'm Max Linsky. My guest this week is David Crosby. You know David Crosby. He's a rock star. And for a long time, he lived hard. He reached incredible heights. He was in The Birds and Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. He's been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice. He's seen things and done things that most of us can't even imagine. He's also bottomed out. A bunch. He spent nine months in a Texas prison. He fell out publicly with nearly everyone he's ever played with. In 1994, he almost died from liver failure. And for much of his life, by his own admission, he was an angry guy. But something softened David. He got sober, except for smoking the potty grows in his backyard. He rebuilt his family. He's making music he loves. And he's at peace with the ways his body is starting to fail him, even if it's threatening the thing that makes him happiest. I wanted to know what it took to get there and what he had to let go of before he could appreciate what he's got. David Crosby is 80 years old. David Crosby, thank you for doing this. It's a pleasure, man. It's a pleasure to have you. And it's a particular pleasure to have you right now. You uh, you just released your eighth album in eight years. <laughs> is, it, is that true? Yeah, I guess it is. It's a bunch. It's a bunch. Well, it's worse than you think, because I just finished another one. Before you were 72, you'd had three solo albums, and now you've done 
we'll just call it a bunch since yeah, you're well, 72. Where, where did that come from? I think it's it's a, a variety of, of reasons. I had songs. The latter part of Crosby, Stills, and Nash wasn't a happy time. And so I, 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 I wasn't really willing to go in and record anymore uh, with Graham or with Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Uh, I didn't feel that it was a welcoming circumstance. Uh, Do you mind if I ask how come? Marriages like that... Uh, you know, I, I think you should give Crosby, Stills, and Nash uh, credit. We lasted much longer than than most relationships do. 1969, you know, that that's a long time to make music together. But uh, those relationships, you know, uh, look, lives don't go in parallel paths, man. They just don't. Uh, you're always either converging or diverging from your friends. And... Uh, for a long time, we graded on each other's nerves. You know, we were all strong people, and and we had. A, a, I'm a very opinionated guy, and uh, <laughs> towards the end, there we weren't friends. You know, and that that is what I like to to make music with is friends. A long time ago, man, I found out a wonderful thing. I wrote Wooden Ships with Paul Kantner and and Stephen Stills, and it taught me a lesson, which is. The other guy always thinks of something you didn't. <laughs> and and writing with other people is fun. Now, most of my compatriots in this business uh, don't feel that way. They want all the money and they want all the credit. And, uh, and it's very important to them. I want all the songs. I want great songs. <laughs> so I am perfectly willing to write with other people. Yeah. And I have found it to be a joy. Now, what's happened to me, man, is major blessings. One was my son, James Raymond. He is uh, a spectacular musician, primarily a keyboard player, but a writer. And uh, he's probably my best writing partner. For people who are listening who don't know the story, when did you meet James? Okay, a lady that I was with, told me she was pregnant and she was going to have the child. And I said, oh, please don't. And she said, I'm going to. And I said, okay. So when he was married and about to have his first child, his parents who raised him said, you should know who, what the genetics are. You should find out who your father and mother are. So he found his mother and found out who I was. And said, nah, it couldn't be. <laughs> uh, and I knew that it was a real one. Somehow I knew that that one, I'd gotten others that were bullshit. You'd gotten fake kid letters? Yeah. I know wh where your son is. I'll tell you if you get me a recording contract. And you just knew that this one was real? I knew this one was real. I knew. And uh, I followed it up and uh, he wound up doing a wonderful thing, man. Normally those meetups go very badly. He walked in and gave me a clean slate and let me earn my way into his life. And that's one of the kindest things anybody's ever done to me. We wound up being very tight. I mean, we're very close. It's a kind of an odd relationship because he's the grown-up and I'm the kid. There was a rumor I was going to grow up, but it didn't pan out. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, he and I write together spectacularly well. What an incredible gift that is. Yeah. 
I figure, man, I must be one of the luckiest. Can I say motherfucker? You certainly can. Okay, I figure I'm one of the luckiest motherfuckers alive. That's honest to God, I really do. I mean, a son that you don't know exists contacts you in what? He was in his 30s? Yeah. And he'd already been a musician for like 20 years, and he was a blazing keyboard player when I met him. Right. Turns out he's good. I mean, imagine if he if he wanted to play with you all the time and he sucked. <laughs> yeah, that would be bad. But he's really good. But he's really good. And you guys have this musical connection that's like kind of a storybook or something. It is, and it's it's ridiculously short ended the odds, man. It the only thing you can figure is that I am exactly what I said, a, an incredibly lucky human being. I mean, I was supposed to be dead <laughs> 20 years ago. Anyway, the, here I am. You know, it's like... You know, I, I was reading through your story, and that is actually true. Yeah, it is. It's kind of miraculous you're still here. Yeah, I, that's how I feel about it. And it's one of the reasons that I'm trying so hard to do as much work as I'm doing. It, the way I look at it is this, man. Okay, I'm going to die. I've got two weeks or 10 years. I don't know. What I do know is that the, the thing that counts is what I do with that time, okay? Now, I've got one way that I can contribute. Music is a lifting force. It makes things better. And I can do it. And I feel strongly that whatever time I have left, since I've been given incredible luck... <laughs> you know, I owe it to the world, man, to give back as much as I possibly can with this tool that they gave me. You know what you just said, uh, how you make the most of the time you have left, that's that's literally like the tagline of the show. That's, no shit, really? Yeah, that's it. Because that's, that's truly what I believe I should be doing, and I'm, that's what I am trying to do. So you feel like you found the purpose, you found the thing, you're doing exactly what you should be doing. I, I do feel exactly that, and I think it's way against the odds. I don't think most people ever have a clear, you know, feeling like that. I think most people are kind of lost and don't really have a direction and don't really have anything they believe in as strongly as I believe in this. Uh, and it gives you purpose, and that's good. I mean, I think it's more than good. There's this aspect of it that I have to ask you about, which is that I've heard you talk in the last year or so that you know, you've got issues with your hands. Yeah, I do. It, it's tendonitis, is that right? Yeah. And you're losing your ability to play guitar. Yes. Yes, I am. If making music is your purpose, if that is the thing that you want to do at the time you have left, what is it like to be losing your ability to do it? Like I, I read somewhere that you said you're 20% of where you were, but it's declining rapidly. I've lost probably 10, 15%, and I will lose it all. You know, I still think I'm lucky, man. I got to play for 50 years, and I know people who are... I got a really good friend, man, who just got diagnosed with Parkinson's. I've had friends commit suicide because they were faced with dementia and loss of ability. I think... You know, I can still sing and I can still write. I just made what may turn out to be one of the best records of my life. And and yes, my hands are going. And yes, that's sad, you know, but I, I've seen really good friends of mine all around me 
have much worse to deal with. And I wish it weren't happening. You know, sure. I wish my age weren't happening, man. I wish that I had another hundred years because I'm having a blast. I, 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 I love my family. I love my job. I've got a wonderful home. You know, it's not big, but it's really a pretty place. Yeah. How will you know when it's over with your hands? You know, uh, I play every night to try and, and stretch it out as long as I can. I keep guitars right next to the bed. There's some on the wall, another one on the stand. So you think playing more will allow you to play longer? It's not like you're like a pitcher in baseball and you got to conserve your hours. No, no. You, you keep trying to play and you stretch it out as long as you can because it's fun, man. <laughs> uh, well, at a certain point, man, I'll, I won't be able to play and, uh, successfully. And I will probably give a lot of these guitars to young guitar players who will then get to play something really good. Mm-hmm. Some of them I'll sell because they're worth a whole lot. But it, it's something you'll know. It's not like someone you play with will say like, David, I, I got to tell you, like, you're not there or something. You'll, you'll know it yourself. They wouldn't be unkind to me, man. But they, my friends don't butter my toast. They, they tell me what, because that's why they're my friends. You know, we, we, don't, we don't bullshit each other about that. Music's too important to bullshit each other about it. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The way you were talking earlier about feeling lucky, does that feel new to you? Because my understanding is that for some significant portion of your life, that, that wasn't where you were at. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, I, I nearly died, man. Came real close. And uh, what happens to you is you get real grateful for being here. When I had that transplant, uh, the doc said I was about a week from dying. They just caught it. Can you tell that story for people who maybe don't know it? Sure, yeah. I got hepatitis C off a needle. I used to be a junkie. And um, it destroys your liver. So after a few years, it destroyed mine. And then we realized that I was very sick, and we went to UCLA, and they said, you got to have a transplant, your liver's gone. And uh, they, uh, they got me a transplant. Uh, the first time they had a liver for me, it turned out to have a tumor in it. <laughs> so I, they were really cutting it close uh, when they got uh, another one and were able to transplant me. It was... I was just about to die. And what happens to you uh, when you almost die, it changes you. Yeah. You look at things a little differently. And uh, I am grateful. I am in love with my wife. I'm in love with my son. I, I love my family. I've, I'm having a blast making music. It's still just a complete joy, man. We had so much fun. So that moment, it's 1994, first transplant doesn't work, you're, you're waiting for a second and you're close. Did you have regrets then? Like, did you... Well, it's, I was in a strange place. You got to understand, I had, I felt like I was on an upswing because I had been, you know, an addict and I beat it. I went to prison. In, in Texas, Texas, Yeah. Yeah, not fun. That's the, the rottenest, most awful way to kick on earth in a jail cell. But I did. And I'm proud of it. I did it. So I was feeling pretty good about myself and thinking, okay, now I got to lose some weight, get myself working here, and uh, and get back on uh, uh, to doing my job. It all has a great deal to do with being, you know, able to make music. Uh, that's a huge gift. Is there any tension between making music and, and the other thing you keep talking about, which is your family? Like, does one pull you away from the other? There used to be more tension, uh, you know, because I would leave to go on the road and I would leave my family behind. Uh, you can't take them on the bus. And, you know, they would miss me when I was gone and I would miss them when I was gone. And now, mm, no conflict at all. Uh, if, I, if I do go and do any work, I'll just take my family with me. That's the rule now. Yeah. Do you think you'll tour again? 
Probably not. How come? A lot of reasons. The people who are going out now are doing it too soon. Uh, they're having to go out in total isolation. They can't take their wives with them or their family. They can't see anybody. They can't have any guests. And then they go to a hotel room where they are forbidden to go out. They stay in the room and have room service, and that's it. Right. Do you feel like something got stolen from you, losing this time to tour? Yes. Yeah. I, 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 I love singing live, man. It's a, it's a really a joy to do, and I'm good at it. <laughs> and I... I had to cancel three tours, and uh, I think that would have been my last year that I had the stamina and the strength to go out and work all summer. Uh, I don't think I can do it now. I'm sorry, David. Yeah, me too. What about the financial hit? It's pretty bad, man. We had two ways of making money, right? Records and touring. And... Uh, so then along comes streaming, and we don't get paid for records anymore. They're making billions. I wanted to be grateful that I could still earn a living playing live and pay the rent, take care of my family. Along comes COVID, and I can't. Yeah. So now I lost my two sources of income, both of them. So I was facing, you know, selling my guitars to not have to sell my house. I mean, it was pretty serious. And uh, my, my friend Irving uh, made me an offer on my publishing. And I took it. Because that's the only resource I had. This is probably like uh, gauche or impolite. But like, I think I assumed you were pretty rich. You were wrong. Do people make that assumption? Am I like uh, totally off base? Sure, there? yeah. No, no. If you go on the net, it says I'm worth $43 million. <laughs> I freaking wish. I I was down to the point where I, I literally was facing losing my home. What can I tell you? I only had two places to earn money, and they were both gone. Yeah. And you were still basically living off the income you were bringing in. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have, I don't have a big wad of money sitting in a bank someplace. I wish I fucking did, but I don't. Should you? No. Okay. No, nobody stole it. I spent it. Mostly on drugs. Yeah. How much money do you think you spent on drugs in your lifetime? Millions. Millions of dollars. Cocaine and heroin. Jesus. Sad. Um, it is sad. Yeah, I think there's two ways of looking at it, though, you know? I mean... It's sad. It also fits under luckiest motherfucker on earth, I think. To have survived it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have regrets about it? Sure. Do you think about it, or is, or is it just, it's like your story and that's what it is? I think about it in the sense that it's time lost. The big loss, there was time. Mm -hmm. You don't get it back. I... Wasted probably 10 years just trying to see how absolutely blasted out of my mind I could get rather than trying to see how much work I could do. Do you know why that's the path you went down? Tough question. 
I don't know. I really don't know. I, I must have been unhappy about some stuff, but I, I don't know what it would have been. I've had a good life. You seem good now. I am now. It's really fun now. You seem great. I am pretty happy, man. I really am. I, I Do you feel like you've ever I, been happy like this before? Is no, this... I, I was happy before, but I, I, you know, I was also kind of erratic and also, you know, doing stuff that was damaging. I'm not doing anything that's damaging now. I smoke pot, but that doesn't do any damage. It's really kind of nice. Is it weird at all? Is it surreal at all to have pot legalized? It's a relief because we could <laughs> we grow our own. You know, we have a garden out in back, and we grow you know a few plants, and they're nice. They're pretty ladies, and we take care of them, and, we, and then we harvest them. We just did a harvest; it was really good. What's it been like for you, not just getting older yourself, but seeing all these like contemporaries of yours, all these like legendary rock stars, faces <laughs> of counterculture. What's it been like to watch all these guys get old? Well, everybody handles it differently, you know. Can't all be Keith Richards. <laughs> uh, Keith's handling it pretty well. Yeah, he's done all right. <laughs> yeah. I think some people uh, get uh, more crotchety and more full of themselves and, uh, you know, more pompous the older they get. And some people uh, handle it gracefully and are really a lot of fun. Uh Bonnie Raitt leaps to mind. Uh, Bette Midler leaps to mind. What about how that interacts with, like, politics? Because my sense is that politics are still critically important to you. Like, looking at your Twitter, it's a lot about what is going on in the world. You've got very strong views that my sense are, like, quite similar to where they were 40 years ago. Yeah, I have pretty much the same value system that I had. Uh, it's getting a little more sophisticated, but, you know, yeah. Uh, and is that true for, for the people that you are coming up with? Yeah, politics is, is what's going to happen to you tomorrow. Politics in this country uh, is a desperate situation. The, the global warming thing is real, okay? It's absolutely fucking real. And we can't do anything about it because people who are indebted to the coal and oil, you know, end of, of the world are hanging us up. If we don't solve the problem, if we don't get off fossil fuels, and if we don't figure out some way to do carbon capture, this isn't going to be a, a survivable place in, a, in just a couple of generations. So politics right now is, is life and death. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I got I got two little kids. I think about it all the time. You should. If politics is what's going to happen to us tomorrow, not to be crass about it, but you're not going to be here tomorrow at some point. No, but I have kids too, same as you. And do you think that you're leaving the world better than you found it? I think I'm trying. Mm. But I think currently we're failing. Because we are allowing people who are too stupid to understand what the danger is to impede our progress. And that is, that can result in the death of the human race. It's just a part of me when faced with that that like just wants to uh, curl up in the fetal position under the couch. 
there is part of me who wants to do that too, but I'm not, I'm a fighter, man. I'm not going to do that. Do you think about dying? I do. Are you scared of it? Yeah, sure. I've talked to all these people for the show and um, most of them answer that question very differently. I think most people want to give you the impression that they're brave and that they're not afraid of it. I can handle it. And I think they're, they're lying. I think everybody's afraid of it. Uh, being afraid shouldn't make you uh, unable to do anything. Uh, okay, so I'm afraid of it. So what? I, I still am here, and I'm still able to sing, and I still have a family, and uh, and and it's a sunny, beautiful day outside. So, you know? Can you articulate what you're scared of? The end of being able to be here. I like it here. I, I, I've fought through a lot of stuff to get here, and I like it. I like my life. I like my family. I, li I, I like being alive. And I, I, I don't want to give it up. Especially because you're such a lucky motherfucker. That's how I see it. Seventy Over Seventy is a production of Pineapple Street Studios, and it's produced by Jess Hackle. Our associate producer is Janelle Anderson. Our editors are Maddie Sprung-Kaiser and Joel Lovell. Research and additional reporting by Charlie Locke. Our mixers, Elliot Adler and Jenna Weiss-Berman and I are the executive producers. Our theme song is Like a Dream by Francis and the Lights. And the music you're listening to right now is by Arthur Russell, who would have been 70 this year. Original music by Terrence Bernardo, additional music by Noble Kids, and music licensing by Dan Kanishkawi. Our cover art is by Myra Coleman, who's 72. And our episode art is by Lynn Staley. She's 74 now, and she's also my mom. Special thanks to Beandria July and Gabrielle Lewis. Thank you, Konai Haley Thayman. And thank you, David Crosby. I'm Max Linsky. Thanks for listening. It's a love.